This is for the nerds. This is for the brainiacs. This is what we deserve. We are located in the heart of Las Vegas, Nevada. Of course, it is myself, Christian Soto, my co-host, my friend, my best friend, my coach, my motivator, my gym buddy that never comes to the gym with me, my my spotter, Matt Berkey. I can't fathom the people that are showing up right now to play with masks on and plexiglass surrounding them. Well, yesterday, last night, there was uh, Joe Ingram was out there at Bellagio playing PLO at four in the morning. Sure. And he uh, tweeted, tweeted about it, put it on Instagram. This is what he moved to Vegas for. Yeah. That life, right? Like, like he embodies the gamble. Like, I came here for a reason. They are giving me a chance to gamble even further, and I'm gonna take it. the The best part was that it was 4 a.m. and he was like, "I gotta go to bed because it's a uh, it's not a gambler's lifestyle anymore. I'm a businessman." <laughs> it's 4 a.m. though. It's 4 like... a.m. A wall of plexiglass, like you're in the penalty box at a hockey match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, all right, guys, uh, enough's enough. I gotta get out of here. Well, it's good to have you back, man. You were gone for a week. The house was quiet. You were off to a remote island? Uh, sort of. It was a lake. No remote island. There was water and land, I guess. Yeah, but it was remote. Yeah, it was, it was pretty remote. So, it, so uh, it's called Big Bear, right? Yeah. We had 25 acres to ourselves. Wow, right. So like, we had a hike in our backyard that just like, went through the national forest. It looks like you didn't have Wi-Fi. We had sketchy Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely did not have phone service, for sure. Which is kind of nice. I don't know if I could handle all that, man. Bro, there's, there's... seven days of nobody bugging you? But I got that at the house. Nah, you, nah I, mean, like, I mean, like, you can't even be your worst, worst enemy, right? Yeah. Like, my phone just didn't work. That's a lot of, like, noise, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of noise. When you go out there, you're with yourself, you get to, like, kind of answer your mind's emails. Yeah. It's kind of like, there's a lot of emails that are left unread. Um... <laughs> So, yeah. Okay, so good to have you back. I'm glad you made it for the show. The people, you know, I, I, I pulled up the chat today, and they were like, we need more poker. We need a lot of talking. Mm. More play. And then... That ace-queen bit really, really hit hard. They were like, yeah, yeah. fuck yeah, I need more of that in my life. They liked the ace-queen bit. I, I, it was a gamble. it was a gamble the ace queen bit was like "Eh, i don't know it's like do i want to sound ignorant (laughs) like but the people love it but you're back you're going to be playing a lot we're all going to be playing a lot but you have special plans for the people tentatively Mm. i don't know if my mental capacity can handle it but as of now my plan is to stream all 31 events uh so i'm going to stream all the no limit wsop bracelet events alongside whatever other side events are going. I know they're running uh, an online championship series to coincide with the bracelet events, which is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. I think it's like $3 million in guarantees. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of action. I'm going to stream every day at 5 o'clock uh, for the foreseeable future. I apologize in advance if at some point I just need to take a day off. I may take July 4th off just for the sake of... Uh, probably not. We're not going to have the party. That's the thing. The annual party's dead. And then I also heard... You're going to be selling. No. <laughs> Giving. Giving? Giving. Nah. I saw you. I thought you said you were going to sell something. No. No. Like, no. like 1.8. No. 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 <laughs> uh, we're going to do a daily giveaway. So I'm going to give away 5% of my bracelet event each day. 
Okay, so 5% every day dispersed into individual pieces for five different people. Yeah. And they have to like this video, subscribe to our channel, mm -hmm. and comment below. But yeah. it, we'll be choosing from the people who like, subscribe, and comment to uh, each individual stream. So five mm. random winners who meet that criteria will each get 1% of my action that day. Would you appreciate your, your if you if you got your first bracelet? Yeah. I'll win a side bet, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Especially because I'm sweating the side bet because I think I'm a dog. So that that would be nice to get out of the way. What's the side bet? Uh, 20K. I bet Ryan Reese 20K. Oh, this is still going. I we, thought this was we over. We still have another two years. It's this year and next. Oh, my Lord. Okay. This bet took place in 2017. <laughs> okay, let's, to recap uh, the people watching this. Alex Foxen, who's a good friend of mine, was on the come up still. Not necessarily a, a, a figurehead yet. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people believed in him. And at the time, you were also like huge. I was on a huge heater. Yeah, you were on a huge heater. And Ryan Reese posted on Twitter, or someone posted on Twitter. It was Reese. Yeah, Reese. Yeah. He posted on Twitter, like, I'll take Foxen to win a bracelet. To win his first bracelet win versus his, anybody versus else who anyone. doesn't yeah. have a bracelet yet. Right. And then there was some rumblings. You guys both kind of flexed your arms a little bit. No, not at all. Ari Angle jumped in and goes, I'll take Berkey for 10K. And I'm like, Ari's never been on the wrong side of a bet in his life. He hasn't. He hasn't. So I, I hopped in. He hasn't been. I'm going to be the first person to cost Ari a bet. Nah, you <laughs> might win today and it's over. That's true. That's true. If you win today, the bet's over. Maybe. I don't even know if Fox is here. It has to be mutually played, uh, which was a big deal because he plays a lot of mix. And like there were a lot of situations where like I would have been sweating. Yeah. I don't play. You've had some games. huge sweats. No, I didn't. No, no, no. I'm saying like anti sweats. No, but I didn't. Oh, I did. Other, other people booked Sorry. like him versus me I, in any open. I event? booked that. Yeah, yeah. I booked that versus Asher Conniff. Yeah. Where it was like you versus him, anything. Anything yeah. over, it was like 3,500 outside or above, of, or above yeah. outside the series, anything, and then anything in the series mutually played. Yeah. And then he was heads up in, in the, the five, five diamond. diamond. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, this guy is not gonna lose. Like, it's Ryan Tossick versus Foxen. And I'm like, no offense to Ryan Tossick, but like I'll take Foxen in that yeah. that battle. And then Tossick did his thing. Like, <laughs> ran, ran good. And then Asher tweet uh messages me. He's like, You really faded that one. Yeah. I know Berkey had to play that one. <laughs> I cashed it. I'm like, yeah, you played. Yeah. Woo, nice one. And then he won the Venetian 5K. Yeah, but you didn't play I that one. I was too sour. I didn't play it. <laughs> It was like oh, at the end of the summer, I couldn't take it. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about some bracelet bets because yeah. that's uh, that's been the whole kind of allure of this week. Negranu said it's a little different. It's different, but this isn't. The, I don't think this is the first time he's done it. No, no, no. So but just to what I mean by what I mean by it's different is that it's online now. We miss Mercier. Mm. Mercier's bracelet bets were fucking epic. Okay, I want to. I want to kind of. Let's Back start in. there. Yeah. Let's start okay. with the bracelet bets from Mercier and then bring them to today. Yeah. So Mercier, I believe this was two years ago? Yeah. Two years ago, books a bet versus Vanessa Selps. At the time, the way the bet went and like how it came to be, debatable. Some people say it was unethical. Some people say, eh, you know, you don't really do that to your friends. I don't know if it was just against Vanessa, though. I, I feel like other people had laid him comparable prices. Okay, but I could be wrong. But Vanessa was the figurehead yeah, of this yeah, yeah. bet. She, so yeah. So to lay the whole story on, 
Vanessa allegedly was intoxicated with Jason Mercier at some location. They were talking shit back and forth. She was like, oh, I'll lay you a hundred to one or to on, on a brace on you winning three bracelets mm -hmm. and they booked it. Right. And at the end of the day, it was a million dollar bet. Yeah, it was 10 K to win yeah. a million. That's math. <laughs> and, and, uh, so it was a million dollars. Jason goes on to win two bracelets almost immediately. <laughs> like I remember, I remember like the, the reel was buzzing. It was like bracelet. He already has two bracelets. It's yeah. like, Half, almost over half the series is left to go. Yeah. And there's a lot of mixed games left. So then she started sweating. You know, she was like, oh, my God, like, this is crazy. Then at that point, she's like, there's a lot of, like, beef, kind of. Where yeah. it was like. Well, at that point, it became very real. Yeah. Like, she stood to lose this bet, and she had to take action to protect herself. So I think what ultimately happened is he won his second bracelet. And then bagged uh, going into a final table. Mm. And she was just like forced to lay off. So I think uh, she worked something out with Timex where it ultimately cost her like 250 to get out of the bet. So she basically took Jason's side at like four to one or something like that uh, to win another bracelet. And so she ultimately just like hedged in a way that was going to be negative, but was going to lay off a lot of her risk. And he got second. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I mean, but she it, she just can't take the action. No, of course not. Of course not. It's so big. What do you think about things like that? So according to them, they're friends. Yeah. You knew I was drunk. The bet went down. I offered to buy out. Like, it's not like she didn't offer him to buy out. Like, mm -hmm. I'm sure maybe she would have given him 100K or something, you know? No. I mean. Not before a single event was played. No, no, no. I meant, like, after he had the two bracelets or something. Oh, you know? yeah, 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 um, yeah. So... I'm sure she offered a number. Yeah. And he didn't like he didn't want to do it. And then she said, like, you're gonna break me. Yeah. And I was drunk. Like, and then he still didn't do it. I know he's your friend, so I don't want you to like I know you're in a weird spot if if, if No, I mean, I think I can speak pretty openly about both. Uh like I think I know them both pretty well. And I err on feeling the same way Vanessa does in a general sense. Like, I don't like exploiting people that I have any sort of positive feelings towards whether they're my friend or not yeah like even if they're just somebody that i have respect for i don't like the idea of competing for almost like pain through money if mm. that makes sense I, i'm just not a chiseler in that regard like i don't need to carve my ev or maybe i do and i just don't know it but uh i don't like to carve ev through the i guess like deficit of somebody else mm. the exception being at a, in a poker game right yeah I don't, I don't really have any feelings one way or the other when we're actually in game. But even there, it's like dynamics can form where through throughout my career, there have definitely been points where it's like I don't feel great about winning a big pot off my friend because like I know he's playing too big right now or I know that like this means more to him than it does to me mm -hmm. or whatever. So it's like that was always difficult for me to juggle. I definitely lean more towards the empathetic side uh, of like Vanessa. But I also understand where the bet formed from. Like I can also align with her arrogance and ego and it's like you just get in this mindset where like things are long shots and you don't take the time to really attribute the the true math to it yeah of what the true odds are like she didn't offer him 100 to 1 the same way mike mcdonald calculates you know the risk that he's willing to incur for a, a particular bet or whatever the case may be and these long shot bets it's like the person laying the price sure they win a lot but 
it's it's a relatively insignificant amount of money for a very significant amount of money. Like, you know, like she said, it would break her. Yeah. But I know how Jay thinks. And like he sees anything gambling related through the lens of EV. And it's like he's getting laid in his mind a good price. And he's never gonna say no. It was agreed upon under the the constructs of honest gambling, right? Like everybody was conscientious that the bet was being made. It was it was vouched for or it was uh, corroborated by witnesses or whatever the case may be. So like as far as he's concerned, the action's on. I don't know what happened leading up to the World Series, right? I don't know how much she tried to get out of it yeah. in that time frame. I think that's... I think when bets are made, especially under those frameworks mm. of like intoxication or anything like that, like I think you have probably like a couple days to cancel the bet yeah. or the person that was intoxicated. Yeah, yeah. And after that, the bet's on. Yeah. You know? Do you think Mercier is underrated? Now, yeah. I mean, Jay can obviously still compete now. He's just choosing to be a dad. Uh, but if he got back into poker, I have no doubts that like he would be very good. Would he be the best like he was for a solid four or five year stretch? Probably not, right? A lot of things that he's naturally good at study and solvers have kind of like closed the gap on mm-hmm. and it's just going to naturally make his progression a little bit more difficult but you can't replicate that natural talent right it just automatically gives him a higher ceiling so if you're comparing somebody who has that natural talent and the ability to study versus somebody who does not have that natural talent but a a, a hunger to study they're both going to be able to achieve a pretty high level the person with the natural talent is going to be able to just expand it so much further because this game is so expansive in nature. It's so nuanced and there are so many nooks and crannies that we haven't even begun to discover yet. We have to lend credence to somebody who's able to explore the darkness kind of and carve out an edge where we haven't quite defined it as an edge yet. And I think Jay's just like really good at that. He's masterful at reverse engineering games and understanding like the best way to approach it. He became like a world-class open face player. Yeah instantly just like instantly and it was just having a really good feel of the the structure of the game and like how ev was being exchanged through decisions so like yeah i mean i think from that regard like he's going to be very quickly forgotten by the high roller scene that's overshadowed everything he did but like man if you look at his resume it's disgusting yeah it's impressive like you can pluck out his his high roller scores uh, and it, it's just like one of the most notable short careers, if you will. I, I, I think maybe it was like 08 to, so maybe 10 years tops mm-hmm. at most where he was putting in high volume. Nobody grinded live like him though, man. He went to every fucking stop. Yeah. yeah. It was insane. The, the EPT, the famous kind of like EPT, I forget the which Juwanda one. It was like Sam Rainbow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. he made like a huge call. Yeah, and with, then like celebrated, yeah, 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 the yeah. whole thing, and that was like that after, ugly ass white dolphins hat. Yeah, 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 I remember. <laughs> um, but that was like after he got stabbed or something. It was it was a pretty wild. Story. I think it was. I think it was in the opposite order. I think he, he won. stabbed somebody else. Yeah, he stabbed somebody. No, <laughs> I think he won and was celebrating and got oh, stabbed by a beer bottle. That's a wild story. Back. Yeah, it's crazy. Like after winning in the, I think cel- so. I think the, so. Oh, so he wins. They go out to the club celebrating, looking for the swingers, and then gets stabbed by <laughs> right, a bottle. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah and that was. He should have rolled with me, man. That wouldn't happen. I'll be like, cuckoo. I gotta you know? tell you, hearing those stories is every reason why I'm I'm like not a big fan of it. You go to Big Bear. Travel. There's yeah, nobody I, there. I, I stay in my lane, man. It's like I'm gonna be right here in America. 
It's uh, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so let's let's go back now to the Daniel Negreanu bet, mm-hmm. which is going on currently. It's been a big buzz. There's a little bit back and forth on the Twitter with you and Guru again. They should never let me back in into high high powered Wi-Fi. <laughs> and so what's happening now is Daniel is taking action for up to a hundred thousand. And he is betting individually with multiple players that either them or himself will win a bracelet. Mm-hmm. So, and up to a hundred thousand. So he could have up to three million dollars out there Maybe or more. more. Yeah. In individual hundred k bets. Right. And the rumor is that that is actually the case. So after that, there was some discussion on the strategic sense of does Daniel have an edge? Does Daniel have an a bigger edge, etc. But let's focus now on just this bet and what your overall thoughts are. Because this is one of the biggest bets that we've seen in bracelet bets since we've seen Ivy bets, since we've seen Durr bets. Yeah. Rumor before was that Durr had one of the biggest bracelet bets ever and would have just like busted everyone like if he won his bracelet bet. He ended up taking second uh, versus, I believe, one of like Galfon's other good friends. But he ends up taking second saves the day now we have another situation where if dnex wins like that's a lot of 100ks being scooped you know so let's talk about that bet what are your overall thoughts on just that bet and would you ever do something like that it's really fascinating because it's a weird scenario where every individual making the wager likely has edge Mm -hmm. right so what i mean by that is the way Daniel structured this is you don't have to bet on yourself. So if I just decide like uh, I want Foxen mm-hmm. and Foxen's action hasn't been bought up yet, I can bet up to 100K worth of Foxen and just buy him, right? So like yeah. it's almost like fantasy in that regard. And so nobody is taking people on the, on the 100K side that they feel is even remotely close to being even right. with Daniel. They're taking people that they think are like massive favorites. Who would be your first pick here? I was just thinking that I came up with Foxy because I know he's he's like a gritty grinder who's just like going to get after it. I'm not sure because I don't know like who it plays. It has to be someone in Vegas and someone in... Right. The thing is, is that like most of the high rollers don't even play the World Series anymore. Mm. Like I know Jason Kuhn talked about this last year where the World Series doesn't have the same buzz for him anymore. He comes in late, he leaves early, and he's only here for like the 100K pluses. It's a weird thing that's happened to our community where in some regard the World Series has become like a second tier just due to buying range, which is so fucking wild, man. The first eight years of my career, I was just in awe at people who could play the entire schedule. More than the first yeah, eight But years. It's, it's different now, man. Like I was playing the entire schedule my second year of WSOP. Like it's just easier to get money now, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's crazy to me. I played my first full schedule in 2013 and I sold a... 85k package that year and it didn't include it wasn't even a full schedule it only included up to 3k's i think what happened is like there's just so many smaller events now yeah where it's just like there's a 1k every tuesday yeah but like a full schedule for you is what like 120k Mm, maybe a little less but yeah it's pretty i played like 175,000 worth of binds last year yeah something to that yeah but there's a lot you're playing like a lot of the 10k's all the 5k's with rebuys at the venetian and whatever yeah no 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 for sure don't get me wrong but like I'm saying I was in awe in the early to mid 2000s when a full schedule might only cost you 60K. Yeah, yeah. It's like to even allocate that because everybody at that time 
when you're talking about 03 to like 2011, like just as Black Friday was bursting, most people were double dipping. Very, very few quote unquote tournament specialists exist, mm. right? Like there were the online guys that like, that was literally all they did. They just grinded MTTs and they did the same live. But the vast majority of people who played both live and online were half cash, half half MTT all the time. Like they were just professional poker players. Yeah, it was, right? it was they, like they were Greg, Greg Merson yeah. type players. Yeah. yeah. So like part of me was just like, well, how can you pass on the cash games to play every single event? But then the second part of me was just like, how on earth can you just have 60K set aside? If I had 60K set aside, I would just play 100 or 200. <laughs> I mean, you're not supposed to. Right, but <laughs> it was just like... You know, there, there, there are way less torturous ways to invest this money. So, like, when I finally put in my first full schedule uh, in, like, 13, it was, like, an 85K schedule. It was just, like... And, it, again, it didn't even include, like, 5Ks and above. So, it was maybe, like, 75% of a schedule. It was just, like, wow. Like, uh, this is it. Like, this is... this is I'm turning a corner. Like, I'm full-fledged a professional now. Mm-hmm. And it's only going to scale from here. I'm only going to play bigger schedules moving forward. I'm only going to start adding 10Ks and 5Ks. And like, maybe I could see myself getting in the realm of, of bracelet bets and stuff like that. But I just don't operate that way. Like, it, it doesn't interest me. So Nagrana puts up at risk rough, roughly 30 million. I mean, sorry, 3 million. Oh, right. Yeah. So that that's the beauty of this bet. Because he doesn't have 3 million at risk. Right. Right. So like, that's why I said everybody has edge. So the entire other side all feel like they're a favorite to win a, a bracelet over Nagrana. So like, let's say... Just for argument's sake, and again, these odds aren't really born out of anything, but let's just say like uh, Negranu is a true 10 to 1 dog to win a bracelet. Mm -hmm. So like maybe he wins one in 10 times, right? So 10% to win a bracelet. I would assume that every single person who bet against him thinks that they're at least one and a half times more likely or twice as likely, Yeah. right? So they think they're like five to seven and a half percent likely to win a bracelet. And they're, they're just, they're not printing necessarily, because the most likely outcome is so neither much. of them win a right, right is neither of them win a bracelet. But with that said, everybody who put up the hundred k feels like they're probably doing so with some sort of edge. Mm-hmm. Now they might only be making uh, a couple thousand dollars, right? Yeah. But still, it's it's a favorable bet. Uh, from Daniel's side, he's now being laid like thirty to one on a bracelet. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fucking wild. That's so it's like if he's if he is truly a ten to one dog to win a bracelet. He's now just getting laid 3x that price. Mm-hmm. And he's setting himself up in this like beautiful way where he's a big favorite. And I know that like that led into some uh strategy discussion as far as like how it's gonna alter his play, which I don't necessarily think it will, but I think that like the structure of the bet is incredibly unique. Cause no one person was gonna lay him 30 to 1. No, of course not. Right. Right. Jay got a hundred to one on three bracelets. On three. Yeah. And we think that that was egregious. Yeah, no one's going to give you third to one on one bracelet. Right, you know? right. Uh, especially with the amount of bracelets that there are available. Now. Yeah. We, we might see, you know, we're going to see a bunch of bracelets, 31 bracelets in Nevada, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to see, I believe, over 80 bracelets. It's 85 total. Oh, total. I so think there's so. 50 on GG. I think so. Yeah. Okay, so there's 85 bracelets to four grabs, which is probably one of the higher numbers we've we've ever seen. I think it's comparable to yeah. what the live was going to be this year. Right. But it's gone consistently yeah. up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then we still might see a live series. Like right. It's not ruled out. So right. come October, we could just see the World Series live with more bracelets. They might just do it here instead of Europe or right. whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of fascinating, right? Because like, say Daniel books this bet with 200 people. Mm. Now he's getting like 200 to one and they cannot physically win 200 bracelets. Yeah. 
So as long as he wins a bracelet, he just he's just auto, auto wins. Yeah, that's the move. Daniel's just like, bring it on. It's such a fascinating bet to me. It is. It's it's one of feels like he's kind of a sharp. But then I was doing the numbers yesterday in my room. You know, just like okay, he's minus EV here. He's minus EV there. He's minus EV here. How the hell is he plus EV? Because <laughs> like, I was just like, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Like. He's minus EV versus Jakun. He's minus EV versus Makita. He's minus EV versus Foxen. He's minus, e and it's like these are the people that are being taken. It's not as if he's being right. booked against like you know the rebuy ten dollar guy. You know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. he's yeah. being booked against some tough players. And the thing is, is that if you ran this through infinite iterations, they would just realize their expectation, mm -hmm. right? So they would just win so many bracelets by comparison. But the other thing he has working in his favor is it's a yes-no bet. So, like, if, say, he is betting against Jakun and Jakun wins three bracelets, well, it's two bracelets that his other competitors can't win, and Jakun's not rewarded for the additional two. Explain that further. Uh, so it's just does the person win a bracelet or not. Yeah. So if Jakun wins three and Daniel wins one, they wash. Oh, wow. Right. Oh, that's right. That's, that's and at the same time, he reduces the amount of bracelets that could be won by the field. Right. So the, the bet is, are we going to win a bracelet this year? Correct. Yes or no? Yes. Period. Yeah. Not like you won three. It right. And it, so it's like a weight loss bet, mm -hmm. right? If you and I agree to lose 3% uh, body fat and I lose six and you lose three, but we agree that it's a wash at three, it's still a it's wash. It's still a wash. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's pretty cool. Okay. So the history of bracelet bets now. So... Do you think that's something that could pick up steam? Like, it seems like it. I mean, it's intriguing. I'm intrigued to see Daniel play on the vlog mm -hmm. a little bit more now. Like yeah. he's, he said he's going to yeah, stream yeah. with no whole cards and stuff. Not that you guys should watch his stream instead of ours because we're streaming 31 days in a row. Right. But if you want to, like, every now and then, you know, like, Berkey busted and you're just like, yo, Daniel's on. <laughs> like, that's fine. Sure. You know? I'm intrigued. I want to see if he wins a bracelet on camera. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, well, I think it's somebody is going to win a bracelet on stream. I'm pretty confident of that. There are enough people who see this as an opportunity to kind of showcase. And then also, like, if like there's like random people that like if they make a final table, they're just yeah, like, they'll start making deep runs. They're just gonna fire it up. Yeah, right. So we're gonna see a bracelet one on stream. Also, I think Poker Go is covering it, similar to what they did for Party Poker and uh, their other events, mm -hmm. where they plan to have real names, uh, and they're just gonna have the re replayer up. Oh, I see. So uh, yeah, I saw an announcement today that. Pokergo will, or NWSOP would release the real names by 3 p.m. the next day yeah. of everyone that made the, everyone that cashed. Oh, I didn't really, okay. But there is going to be a stream. Pokergo is definitely still doing the stream. Is going to do a stream of tables. all the final tables. I don't know if it's all the final tables, but of the final tables. Rumor is like, you know, there's a conflict of interest. So like we have our own platform and we have our own streams and stuff. So they didn't really want to bring us in to do it every sure. day. Sure. But, and I said, like, that's fine. Like, whatever. Like, we don't care. Like, we have our own stuff. Like, we're building our own shit. This is our own platform. Like, right. the realest podcast and the realest vlogs and the realest streams. And we don't get no shadow bans because you guys like and subscribe and share every fucking day. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, yeah. So, I, I do think that, like, a bracelet's going to get one on stream, which is going to be pretty exciting to see. Uh, but, it, again, it's different. It's just so different. Like, you know, the buzz isn't the same. There's something very particular about sharing a common space with tens of thousands of people with a similar goal. Yeah, there's always the real flu. Well, that too. We have COVID this year. Every year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like that aside, it's just like, 
you know, there's a certain buzz in the air as tables break down and, mm-hmm. and you know, one event makes the final table. People talk about it. I mean, we're going to kind of get into this a little bit with Sarah whenever she comes on, but it's difficult to generate that same sort of care when everybody's just at home in their underwear firing up a few tables. It's not the same. It's not It's not the same at all. You know, you're not walking through the Rio and, like, seeing, like, oh, this guy just made a final table. Right. You know, there's not that, like, shit talking, like, that guy sucks. Yeah. Like, I also think it's not, like, showcased quite as well. So, like, when you're at the Rio, it gets live streamed, then you get sectioned off into this particular area. And, like, F-Tops used to do a great job of, like, the tables were very different whenever you found it. Like, you got the blue lights and, mm-hmm. you know, they tried to make it look like an arena and stuff like that. The, the bells and whistles just aren't really the same. And we're so disconnected now. Um, it would be dope if, like, this ends up trending in the future. If somehow, some way, like live video feeds were integrated in where like you had to stream the final table, something like that. It is very different, uh, you know, being at the world series and just like seeing all the things that happen and just like all the randomness that occurs at the world series, like random naked people on, on tables and all kinds of things. But tell me some of your favorite moments. Um, yeah, non-personal ones. Like obviously all the final tables were pretty special, but I had just become friends with Jay when he won his first bracelet. So like we were on the rail for that. That was, and it was, it was in a time frame. I think it was like 2009 or 2010. It was in a time frame where like, that was everything, mm. right? Like it's not to say that things have gotten cheapened or watered down since then. It's just, we're all getting older. We're aging out. You know what I mean? So like our focuses are just very different, but that was a huge, huge deal. It, it was, I don't know, man. It was just like, there was something surreal about it. Where it's just like this guy makes all these bracelet bets. Like he's just this young cocky kid who won a couple tournaments. He makes all these bracelet bets and he comes in and wins the first fucking PLO event he plays. He's just like, okay, maybe this guy's like legit. Mm-hmm. Um, the Durr bracelet bets were obviously epic. Ivy every year for like from like early 2000s to like Black Friday on the dot. That time frame, every single year it was about like what are his bracelet bets? What are Negrani's bracelet bets? Like, uh, you know, the old guard. They, mm-hmm. they were the old guard. Say what you will about them. They were fantastic gamblers and fantastic advertisers, right? Like they knew how to drum a storyline. There's still a lot of action that takes place, but now, now it's on poker shares. And everybody's just so sharp now or like tries yeah, to be so sharp. No, like before people gave action, you know, it yeah. was like, it's like give action, get action. Yeah. Guys like, like Gavin Smith and, and Greg Mueller. Like I remember these guys just being the loud action driven guys who had these huge bets out knapsacks full of cash Nobody knows if they're getting the right price, but like, who gives a shit? Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's a that's a problem. Like everyone just tries to have the right side of the bet now. The thing is, is nobody yeah. wants to feel uncomfortable anymore. Nobody wants to make a bet where where they kind of walk away and they're like, oh, I don't feel really great about that. So what they do is, or I shouldn't say they, as if like it never happens, but like what ultimately tends to happen is scenarios like Negranos where both people feel pretty good about it, mm-hmm. right? In the short term. Negrano's probably making a fantastic bet because there's only so many bracelets available and now he's getting laid a huge price. But if we extrapolate this out to the long term, all of his opponents are probably printing cents on the dollar. Right. But it's like, it, it's only this year. so Right, exactly. Yeah. So it kind of sways back in his favor. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think like, I think that'll be the evolution of prop betting, bracelet bets, things of that nature. I, I think like trying to find favorable sides for both is pretty good. I think your favorite WSOP moment is you making a final table, busting, but that's fine. That's going to happen. But then you had your dog 
in front of the cameras. Oh yeah, it was on, so, so awesome. On the you see. I thought you were gonna say. Then I went into the booth afterwards and got lambasted by Polk. No, 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 no. Oh, fuck that. That guy, he's 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 retired. That's gonna be. Speaking nice. of, uh, I'm trying to actually facilitate a bet with Daniel. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of mentioned already. Like, I'm not really driven by uh, additional money. I think it's like how almost, rich are you, man? No, not at all. It's it's quite the opposite. But I I feel like it's a negative free roll. Where like when you win, having that addition, like I'm not gonna be betting millions like Daniel, where he's making right. first place 10x what it really is. Right, right. So it's like when you win, it's this nice little additional small amount. But when you lose, it's like God damn it! I already had an awful fucking series. Now I have to pay out an extra 20k in bracelet mm-hmm. bets. Like that feels shitty. And I generally want to root for him. So, like, I don't want to be anti-sweating him if he goes deep, uh, especially since, like, he has way bigger bets than anything I would make with him. So I said, like, let's do something that is non-monetary. Um, you know, effectively, like, something where we can invest our time or energy into something good. And he said, sounds great. Let me think about it. So while he's thinking, I'll also think, and I will ask you guys, like, what ideas do you think we could utilize to uh, make this prop bet where the loser has to do something for the betterment of society, let's say? Mm. I think you should go read Harry Potter to prisoners. I've never read Harry Potter. <laughs> I, I, I maybe honestly, neither have them. Right. Well, <laughs> I don't know. If that's for the betterment of anybody. <laughs> it's for the betterment of everybody. I'll go read to them. I really don't think it needs to be Harry Potter. <laughs> no, that's the whole point. Like you got to. It's still the betterment, but you have to suffer a little bit. Like, <laughs> I, I, yeah. No, I, I I agree. Like I like the vein of where you're thinking, but. Uh, that that feels uncomfortable. <laughs> That's the whole point. That's I'm uncomfortable <laughs> with Harry Potter, not the prisoners, for what it's worth. <laughs> Jesus. Talk about, yeah, but you're uncomfortable going to Europe because you might get bottled. Fucking yeah, fuck. I don't want to get bottled in the streets. <laughs> you can get shanked in the prison. That's right. It's like, I heard that's Matt Burke. You heard he's a billionaire. He just won some, He just lost 20000 He probably got a little more than that. <laughs> Shake him down, boys. I'm looking forward to it. I, I think that... I'm looking forward to the streams. I'm looking forward to the bracelet bets. I'm looking forward to... I, I feel like there's a a positive turn to the WSOP even happening. And you said this yesterday on your Twitter. Yeah. It was like, oh, it's kind of like Christmas. I always respond like, come on, bro. It's not that serious. But like, it was... Uh, I'm pumped, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm like fired up to play and I don't enjoy playing online. It, it helps that I'm winning a lot right now. Yeah. Like the games are really fucking good. Mm-hmm. And that is a lot of encouragement. I also just had five or six days in the wilderness doing nothing, so I feel recharged. Talk to me in two weeks, and I'm going to be like head against the mic like I can't do this. It's weird, right? It's it's weird how negativity in in like the poker... Let's say, for example, you're playing in a game, and I'm playing in the game, mm-hmm. and I'm not... Like, we're not friends today. Like, we're just like competitors, and I'm like, oh, Berkey runs so good against me. You yeah. know, like, whatever. And then, like, I tell that to my buddy. Then my buddy plays against you. And then he, like, loses a pot to you. I feel like my energy that I brought to him will carry. It projects. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, Berkey runs good against everyone. He fucking sucks, but he runs so good. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, and now this person loses, like, a little bit of confidence against you. And it just, like, trickles. It's like, it, it, it continuously carries. Yeah, and out. I mean, you can even abstract that out to where it's just, like, general conversations, right? Like, we're going to go through so many emotional swings over the next 31 days that now all of a sudden, like, even people that you're talking poker with, it's so easy to just lead with this negative vein mm. where you're just like, oh, oh, that's a chip lead pot. Uh, got it in. The guy was stone dead. You know, we were flipping. Yeah. <laughs> 
and, and then like the it's person like 40 percent equity yeah and then the person on the receiving end of that is kind of just like oh i know like i lost six chipley pots and you respond like i don't care no it's easy it's easy this is about me right now okay <laughs> and then it just becomes this like perpetual thing where everybody's trying to one-up one another with oh. their negative stories mm-hmm. and it's just like yeah I, I mean i kind of agree it's like we need an outlet for that but the trickiest thing is figuring out a healthy way to do it because talking to other people like it sounds crazy but talking to people who don't understand poker is the easiest way to get yourself out of it right because the way that they try to commiserate with you and make you feel better feels like it, it feels like they're pandering so hard that you're annoyed at yourself for ever bringing it up. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. That that sucks so bad. I can't even imagine losing that amount of money. And in your head, you're thinking like, don't fucking patronize me. <laughs> but like they're being sincere because they don't know shit. What else are they supposed to say? Yeah, they don't understand. It's like... And you just kind of snap out of it right away. You're like, why am I telling this person mm-hmm. about how awful my day was in this regard with like how much money, like I don't feel better. I feel way worse now. Yeah, because like they don't even understand, and it's like, it's a different world. They're yeah. they're like civilians. You know? Yeah, I think like honestly, just letting it resonate for a second, and then just going and screaming into a fucking pillow is way more. <laughs> it's probably better. It, it has to be. It just has to be. Huh. All right, we're supposed to have Sarah Herring on today, mm-hmm. but tell us a little bit about like how long you've known her. Uh, before we bring her on um man when did i meet sarah i i guess i met her and her current husband heath when i was living with dan like when i first moved in with dan o'brien so probably like 2011 mm-hmm. we all ended up in old vegas somewhere and uh from that point on sarah was like the face of poker news in a lot of ways um so we've done just a lot of interviews and she's always been super gracious with me you know, I, I feel like I almost owe her a lot from that standpoint. There was a huge chunk of my career where I both avoided media and didn't really want any attention. Mm-hmm. And I think like becoming like more friendly with her, it helped ease me into that platform, especially like with the super high roller ball. Like she was doing all the main coverage there and it was it was really easy to uh, deal with the highest pressure point of your entire life whenever it's a friendly face asking the questions. All right. So we have a pretty long video of Sarah, that I want to play. It's a video that we had on Results May Vary, which is a previous series of ours. And she was nice enough to sit down for a little comedic interview. Because I wanted to talk about the diversity of all this. I think at this point, there's more women than men playing in the tournament. Yeah. And uh, very few white men in their 30s. For sure. Pretty much any time I interview a woman, I want to make sure to ask them, you know, what is it like to be a woman in poker? Right. That's the question I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have a follow up. Yeah. That's just a topic that's really been uh, avoided. No one talks about it. Nobody. Like, what about maybe their natural kind of feminine character makes them. Like, does that get in the way of, of poker because they're naturally meek? Right. And, and like, are women just, like, not smart, you right. know? Like, that that's something wow. you might want to get on. Like, their brains maybe are smaller or something. They're smaller so, brains? Yeah. And, like, that they're afraid to gamble because they just um, don't have balls. So right. That's they don't have balls. Yeah. That that's something you want to talk to them about, probably. This is one of the fucking greatest fucking bits I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hello, Sarah. Hi! <laughs> That's 
Definitely. Uh, it's been a minute since I've seen that. And uh, that was a gem. That was an absolute gem. That was genius, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. You really you really nailed it with the they don't have balls line that, that <laughs> sold it for me. That was such a cool project, though. Really, overall, I was just like, man, this project is so fun and funny and interesting and different. And really, that was one of the times where I was like, okay, like, sulfur wise, going to be doing some next level content like i better watch i better check myself get ready <laughs> they're about to change this game we're, we're, we're gonna keep doing it uh i don't know if anybody's gonna watch it though so, I will. so i see you're living up to your handle is that a little chardonnay yeah you know it might be like a little soft blanc i like to uh treat myself after physical therapy also i'm nursing you know now mm -hmm. so i can't always get as saucy as i'd like to but uh, i figured this was a pretty good excuse sure okay so you touched on two things that we have to address uh let's start with the bad first what what have you done to yourself yeah oh my gosh so i was just i went to a lake cabin um to have my grandma and my mom hang out with my new baby which of course we will talk about i'm sure and i was just walking down a steep path to the lake and it was you know wooden and it had rained a little bit so there was lots of um like pine needles and stuff on the path but literally i'm doing the most wholesome thing i'm completely sober i was gonna go take photos of my mom and the baby and um i just fell and my mom was like are you okay and it's like one of those moments you know like where you fall and you're just like uh wow that's embarrassing but yeah i'm probably fine and um like I kind of tried to stand up and then I was like, whoa, I can't stand up at all. So I just looked down at my leg and I could see like my bones, oh. the, the bones from your leg were like sticking out sort of, oh. but still in the skin, but sticking out. And the foot was just like dangling. And I was like, oh, okay, no, I'm not okay. Like this is not going to be okay. And uh, my mom of course ran inside and got Heath and uh, we were 45 minutes from the closest hospital. So like, we're just like driving there and my foot's just like dangling around every bump we go over. I'm just, you know, ready to, uh, stab my eyes out. And the whole time I'm thinking, but I'm in shock right now. So like, it's really going to hurt super bad later. Um, sure. but there was, you know, parts about it. There were terrible parts about it that were really lucky. Um, COVID had just, well, my husband and I, to be honest, were kind of like conspiracy nuts and we were way prepped for COVID, like way in advance. And one of his buddies, who's also kind of like that, was calling to just check on us and see if we wanted to come stay at his ranch during like ride out the storm there. And um, he happens to be a hospital administrator. So he called my husband while we were at this like small tiny hospital. Um, and my husband said, Hey, funny, you should call right now. Sarah's, you know, broke her leg or whatever. We're, we're in the hospital. And he said, huh, well send me the x-rays. And so he sent him the x-rays and he sent them to like an orthopedic surgeon that works for him or works with him. And, um, he said, okay, this is like super bad. Like if you want your wife to walk again or, you know, be in, his words exactly were, you have a young wife, if you want her to walk without a limp, you need to get her into surgery like right away. So I was super lucky because at that small 
emergency room, they were like, well, you're probably going to need surgery. This was a Thursday night. So I was like, okay, he's, you're probably going to need surgery, but you need to just call some orthopedic surgeons and, um, they'll try to squeeze you in. But it's like, it's Thursday night. Like nobody's going to squeeze me in tomorrow or real quick or whatever it was. And so I was super lucky. Um, my husband's friend ended up, you know, calling in some favors or whatever. We drove three hours. They did an emergency surgery at like five in the morning to, it's what they call an, it's an external fixation. So the first surgery I had, they like, it's pretty sick actually. It's pretty sick. They drill these like rods into your shin and then they drill one straight through your heel and they like attach them outside of your body and inside of your body so that it acts as like a skeleton when your skeleton doesn't work so that the soft tissue can heal enough that they can do another surgery later. It's actually super gruesome. Like blood just like drips out of everything. And like, even when I would go to the hospital, people would be like, Whoa, can we get the door for you? Like, do you need a like wheelchair or something? And, um, it was gross. And then two weeks later I had another surgery to put, you know, some hardware on the inside. I went after that point, I went six weeks in that cast. Um, and then I went six weeks in a boot and then I've been doing physical therapy now for since June 8th to learn to walk, but I'm walking again. I still have a limp right now, but I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it figured out. My God. What a mistake (laughs) starting with that story. You having a child is so underwhelming now. (laughs) (laughs) It was so ridiculous, right? It's like so, and people are like, like when I go, it's called a trimalarial fracture because I broke the tibia, the fibia, and then this like middle bone. So all three bones, like, you know, in the leg. And when people are like, whoa, you know, you talk to doctors and stuff like, we haven't seen this kind of an injury in a while. What did you do? car accident skiing you know i'm like i just like slipped and fell it's so bizarre it's so bizarre no one can figure it out actually oh man i'm surprised that uh he didn't just kind of like look at it fashion a splint out of some sticks throw you over his shoulder and run you to the hospital himself he legit goes he's like uh because he took this um in Vegas, they have this class, it's like angel some things where they teach you how to like stab people, you know, in the heart with Adrenaline. pens so yeah, that yeah. they can, I don't know, like, Pulp fiction. <laughs> like all this, yes, I don't know, whatever shit I would never do. And he's like, so when he sees that I'm hurt, he's like, oh, we should probably, you know, get a splint going or whatever. And he like pulls my leg up. And then like when the ankle was dangling, he goes, I don't even know. Like, I don't think a splint is going to do anything. Oh, and God. I was glad because like, come on, I, the last thing I wanted was him to, even when he picked me up, it was like, I was crawling and I felt like better about it when I was crawling. Like when someone picks you up, you know, your body goes in all these weird ways. And this is so yeah. sick. This is like something out of a horror movie where like someone gets their Achilles sliced and then has to still escape the, the murderer. Yes. yes. Legit. It's like, it was so creepy. It was so creepy. And really like once that I have pictures of the, external fixation and you know what they don't tell you so i've had plenty of um breaks and stuff i've actually i must be brittle or something because i have definitely broken lots of bones but i've also done stupid things like punch walls and punch refrigerators and this was definitely (laughs) like not it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard for me not to follow up to any of those punch (laughs) fridge punch stuff but but go but continue yeah you know the 20s like i went through some things but so like it just these are just 
Maybe my bones are brittle. I'm not sure. Maybe this is like something that just happens because I have made lots of, you know, terrible decisions about these type of things. But there's these, um, this injury. So basically because there was so much damage on the inside of the body, all of this blood formed on the inside of the body and it needs somewhere to come out. So you just get these like blood blisters, you know, when you get like a bad pinch or whatever on your finger and like a black blister forms, you get these like black blood blisters like all around your your foot and your leg and your heel and like I was not prepared when they they said Heath had to take the the bandaging off and clean the um external fixator and when he took the bandages off it was like what the is that it's so gross so I made him take all these pictures and stuff because it was just like so gruesome and actually those blood blisters are some of the worst scars that I have like a lot of the the stuff from the surgeries are like these little lines you know they do such nice work and but there's all these like huge weird kind of like my skin is just messed up where all these where this blood came from inside and just pushed itself out it's so gross yeah, this, this uh, <laughs> I was going to ask about like some of the uh, gruesome events of childbirth, but I mean, this seems to pale by comparison. Oh my gosh. And here was the craziest thing though. I have to say, because I, I did the childbirth thing um, with no medicine. I stayed at home as long as I could. I'm, I just, it's not that I don't trust doctors. Like, I think they have their best interest, like people's best interests in mind, but it's like, you know, I feel like the institution has sort of created a situation where a lot of times things get done that don't need to be done and they have to, you know, follow all these protocols that really are for like the 2%, like 2% of the time something crazy is going to happen. So they give you shots and stuff that you don't need Mm -hmm. anyway. So I just didn't want to go to the, to the hospital until I really needed it. So by the time I got to the hospital, I was nine and a half centimeters dilated, which is like, you're basically giving birth then the baby is coming out. Right. And it was excruciating and totally different than I had thought it was going to be. And actually when we were driving to the hospital with my leg injury and once we got to the hospital, I kept telling everyone like, this doesn't hurt half as bad as pushing the baby out, like not even close. And I will say for the most part, that was true. Pushing the contractions from having a baby hurt worse than this injury with the exception of, both times that I woke up after surgery, it was like unbearable. Like I actually, tears were coming out. I was crying. Yeah. I was like, so this really hurts. But other than that, I would say after you give birth to a child, you've kind of like been through it, like woman power or whatever, but like it's really painful. <laughs> yeah, it's no, really- no, you, uh, you all definitely possess something that I'll never understand. Uh, I'm happy to not understand. I, I give you all the credit in the world for having gone through it. Um, to that end, you're an adult now, unlike some of us in these chairs. What, uh, what What's motherhood like? The first couple months, you know, because everyone's just like, oh my gosh, it's like the greatest love you've ever known. And like, you'll just never be able to understand. And the first couple months, I was kind of thinking like, dude, am I one of those like serial killer infanticide moms or something? Because I was just like, like, I love her. She's wonderful, but like, it wasn't, I wasn't like having all these overwhelming feelings of, you know, like my life has changed and now I see you're the center of it or something. Mm -hmm. But then once she started laughing and smiling and like engaging with me, you know, once she got a little personality then I was like, 
okay, now I get it. Like, this is awesome. This yeah. is so cool. It really took a little while for me. The newborn thing was like, I, don't, I definitely didn't get it. Well, you can't be just she... all poop and cries, you know? Yeah. You, you need a little something think... exchanged here. Yes. Like, you want to have, like, I want to look in your eyeballs. Like, they don't even look at you. They're just, like, the first two months, they're just, like, eyes are closed. And they're, you know, like, they barely even move or anything. Like, it just, <laughs> I was, I was not getting it. But as of recently, like, the last month or so, dude, she doesn't sleep at night, like, at all. Like, imagine waking up every hour on the hour and then have something like on your body, like, like sucking you dry. <laughs> and I feel like I've aged a hundred years in the last three months. Sure. Like sure. not sleeping is a game changer. Yeah. I, I could, I could see that. Uh, I talk about this a lot where mentally my acuity goes down like a hundred percent per day that I lose even an hour of sleep. And the older I get, the worse it is. Like there was a point in my life where I could sleep five hours and just be like, I'm fine. Let's go. What do you got for me today? Now, if I sleep five hours, I'm just like, they're coming for us. The world's ending. The deep state is here. They're all coming after us. And that might be true also. Sure. But still, it's like way too, like I'm a hundred percent with you. And it's so crazy because now, so I used to have that same exact thought like I was like oh my gosh and I was a person who like I'll sleep eight ten hours like no problem like people are like oh six or seven no I can sleep I'll let I don't have any problem sleeping I love sleeping and I always have said that and I used to say oh my gosh how did I live when I could only sleep five hours you know like that was so crazy in my teens and early 20s and now I'm like if I could sleep four hours in a row like just four hours straight before getting woken up it would be an amazing night. I would yeah. wake up so excited. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm like getting you on the train. I'm like, don't you want to have a baby? It's awesome. But for guys, it's different because they don't need your boobs. Yeah, fine. This is all very adult and I'm quite uncomfortable with the conversation at this point. So <laughs> let's, let's take a little bit of a turn maybe to the World Series popping up. And yep. uh, what, what, what does your life look like now? Uh, are you back? To, I, I saw you were hosting the podcast again. Are you back full time? Are you, uh, I mean, we're not, we don't have live poker, so I know you have to be a little bit creative. What a miracle, right? <laughs> because actually I had no, I didn't have really a plan for what would happen, you know, once I had the baby and I thought, I don't know, we'll just figure it out. We'll wing it. Something will happen and we'll get it settled. And thank goodness, because I can't even, well, that's not true. By July, I could walk a little bit, but just traveling and stuff would have been super, super difficult for me. So this whole horrific thing of the COVID has been a great blessing, a great blessing to me. And so our coverage is, I'm going to be doing almost everything from home. I've got a couple of guys on the ground in Vegas who are going to send me some footage and send me some screen captures and we're going to have like a Twitch thing going on and a discord and what have you. So I'll be, you know, editing and splicing together various bits and pieces to try to put together content from here and then doing interviews, you know, as many winter interviews and stuff as I can get, but mostly working from, from home covering this tournament. So it's completely different, which there's parts of that that I think are terrible for me, there's something about just like being in this space with people, you know, especially like right after they win something that just feels so alive. 
But that being said, there's some other things about it that I think are going to be really cool, like coming into winter interviews instead of having it be, you know, five minutes at the bracelet ceremony where I'm just trying to sneak it in as, you know, before they go back to another tournament, I should be able to really deep dive into some of the winter interviews that we're going to have where we can talk hands and we can talk, um, there will be less, I think, winter interviews total, but the ones that we do have, I hope, will be much more quality and much more longer form content. I think that's really good. I, I, I'm used to your, like, bits uh, during the World Series. And I have two questions, right? So the first one is, how many World Series have you done? Because I've, I feel like I've seen you forever in the World Series. But, and then second... I'll tell you one of my favorite bits and then you can kind of tell me your favorite bits. Like my favorite bits are the ones you do with uh, Mark Herm Diphthong, where you go through like the language that he uses and like you go through like what's Todd, what's what's like all these different terms that are like no one knows except like him and his exact crew. And then like you try to translate for humans. So that's definitely my favorite bit. Uh, I wish I had a little clip of that, but that, that's one of my favorite bits. I am so with you. And then what's so crazy too is how so many of those things end up sort of permeating the culture as a whole. Like we have a small enough niche, you know, mm. poker is a small enough group that it's crazy how like showers, right? Yeah. I feel like that started with like Chirp and yeah. those guys. And then it sort of just became, or well, we were just talking about something on the podcast today, which was something that Joey Ingram, you know, the great game of PLO yeah, yeah. or whatever. That wasn't actually what he said. It was something else, which I'm trying to remember. But basically, it was some acronym, not GTO, a new acronym <laughs> that he's throwing out there. But it's funny how actually in this space, you can sort of just create these words or acronyms or terms or whatever that catch hold and sort of make you, maybe it's part of it is that it makes you feel like you're in. You're, you're part of the group. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I don't know, I'm just a huge Chirp fan anyways. I think, I think Mark Herman is, is great and really just an out-of-the-box out thinker and, and more than anything, a really just honest person, which is my absolute favorite quality in people and especially in people that you're going to interview. Mm -hmm. Super boring to interview people that like have a show they want to give you and it's not you know, going to be genuine or real. Um, but in terms of... As long as I've done it, we actually just did a reunion, which was of the final table from the first summer that I started in poker, wow. which was the summer that Jonathan Duhamel won. So it was 2010. That's Berkey's favorite. 10 mm. years. Is it? <laughs> he busted me 42nd that year, turning two outs against me. <sighs> what a dick, dude. He was just I running know. so good that year. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Am I right? <laughs> the worst dude i can't believe it and really with Affleck, like there's never been uh, a sadder moment in like wsop history like that was just the worst that entire moment unfolding is is one of the most human things i've ever witnessed like i wasn't obviously there any longer but like in close to real time like just watching the wave of emotion going from ecstatic that he gets in is such a big favorite to losing to anger, to tears, to all the way back and apologizing to the table mates while wishing them good luck was just like so fascinating from, from a viewer's perspective. It was amazing. It was the whole gamut. You're right. And in such a just like we're saying, genuine, real way. It was so, 
Yeah, it, I mean, and honestly, when people ask, like, there are so many moments in WSOP history that I can think of or remember, and, like, that's just one I think none of us will ever forget. And I hope it makes you feel better. 42nd is a tough low, but mm. at least it wasn't what they had in store for Matt Affleck. You know, I think Affleck cashed for about a million more than me. <laughs> so it doesn't necessarily make me feel that much better. Uh, I would have exchanged the pain. Always comes back to the money. Okay. Yeah, I would have exchanged the pain for seven figures for sure. <laughs> it's like it's like this is your job, um, but yeah. So it's been ten years, which is bananas. I can't remember who I was talking to a couple weeks ago, and they were like, "You've been doing this for ten years." And I was, okay, I already feel like I'm a hundred in the last few months. Just pump the brakes. All right, ten years is. Back in the day, doing a job for 10 years meant you were just a noob, right? You were still just finding your finding your footing, and you were going to be the assistant manager maybe if you were lucky next year. We live in a different world. Like, being in the same industry for 10 years is kind of crazy. Although I will say this. I was saying in that same interview that almost everyone I know that had the plan to and was always going to retire from poker – no one ever retires from poker. <laughs> it's true. No one. I'll say this. Like, there's a, yeah. like, because you've been around 10 years, there's, there's some allure to your interviews. And I said this also to Joe Ingram, where it's like, if you're interviewed by Joe Ingram, like, it gives you a little bit of, like, credibility. And You're also, it, but I think you have that, too, where it's like, if Sarah Herring interviews you, it's because you are either important or you did something really well. And I think that's a, like, that's a good thing to have, like, that, that aura around you, kind of. Dude, that I love so much. That makes me feel super good. <laughs> because <laughs> I was actually just thinking about this the other day. Well, I was just feeling grateful for my job as a whole. You know, I see, I actually, I just know a lot of people that, like, work really, really hard and just don't make very much money and uh, do things that they don't really enjoy that much. And it's always, when you just see that, you know, out of the corner of your eye, it's like, wow, okay, I better check myself. Like, this is a really great industry and field to be in. But I can remember still, and I still feel this way. It's almost like the, the um, first meeting with someone that somehow that residue always sticks with you. It's like, I remember coming into poker from the film industry and feeling pretty confident in the film business. You know, I knew what was going on and coming into the poker and just feeling stupid and feeling you know, really just, I remember thinking Christy was so good at strategy, you know, and she just was able to talk all the poker with everyone. And I just remember thinking like, I'll never be that. And, you know, Lynn is just so polished and poised and, you know, she had her way that I just thought I'm never going to be that. And, uh, really when I just took a look around the poker world, it was super, I felt really out of place. You know, I just didn't feel like I belonged there. And i totally felt like a faker and I was just thinking the other day that I that I do feel much more comfortable in this but there's still so many times where I just feel outclassed I think in this this particular industry and space and so that that really is a wonderful compliment I really appreciate that I, I would imagine you probably don't necessarily feel outclassed as you do kind of because I feel this way also where like we're aging out a bit and in your 10-year career, like, I can remember first doing interviews with you, uh, and I was younger, so it was like, 
when you're when you know that you're one of the chip leaders in the room and i see you walking in with the cameraman and you're like scouring the room it's just like oh pick me pick me kind of thing you know <laughs> and it was like you get that like sensation of like okay this is going to be a spotlight moment and i'm going to do something and people are going to see it that that led to some camaraderie like there was this there was this intertwining between media and players and there was like healthy back and forth and you know we developed friendships about uh, or, or around it it's like you go to tournament stops it's never a question of whether or not you're going to join us out for dinner or drinks or whatever after the fact but now it's like are you really hanging out with like a 23 year old high roller whose last name you can't spell <laughs> You know, He's talking about Makita, by the way. He's talking about Makita for sure. <laughs> it's crazy. You're right. Like in some ways, I think a lot of us were, because of being closer in age or something, it was maybe just natural that we all sort of came up together in that way. There really did also become sort of a turning point where, uh, and I think there's a lot of factors that went into it. And one of them was, uh, I think part of it was that they started doing high rollers like all the time, right? And expecting, so for every main event, then there was three or four high rollers that were going to also be playing that you also were going to be covering from a, a media perspective or going two days early because they were going to start the 100K and then the 50K and then this. And that there was really only probably 50 people that are frequenting those tournaments over and over again. And those 50 people are people that, our fans love to see and watch and want to hear everything that comes out of their mouth. But it, I do think that there has become a space where for me, I have felt much more uncomfortable asking for interviews and asking for people's time when it's happening a lot. And I think players have made it much more clear that they're also less interested in being interviewed. And I also think because things have been happening more frequently, I also have to give them the probably the interviews were less interesting for them or, you know, the, the value was less because as we know, quantity and, and quality are quite often uh, related. And so I hope at least even this period of sort of media blackout or no live tournaments will open the door again to a space where doing interviews on breaks feels more fun again for everyone. I think that kind of touches on a, a, a much bigger topic, but one that I at least like to hear your initial thoughts on because we don't have three hours, but uh, something's changed obviously. And, and I agree. I think like the advent of high rollers is a big part of it because it's such now a tight niche community. You're not dealing with thousands of people where there is so much parody with who's performing well and who's the hot name at the moment, right? That parody is now only happening across maybe 20 or 30 different people and so you do get this bit of like decision fatigue where it's constantly the same people being highlighted. But also that group doesn't give a shit. They, they've already come up. Um, you know, the elder statesmen in that group are my age and they already went through the media age of the early to mid 2000s, the, the pre-Black Friday phase, everything else. They've aged out of that. They don't care. They've made their money. They're now playing high stakes. They are, you know, venturing into other things. So media is interesting to them. And then the new up-and-comers media hasn't like given the same benefits that it did pre black friday because there's no online sponsorships so i guess like that was a long-winded way of asking what what like adaptive role do you see poker media playing moving forward is it something that like 
we're just going to see happen more at an individual level where we're all creating our own brands through vlogs and shit like that? Or, you know, is it likely that it's going to continue to flourish just in a different way than it has in the past? It's super interesting because, you know, it's something that I've actually really thought more about and realized too in this spot where we're working from home or whatever. It doesn't mean that these, uh, you know, poker sites have have given up on getting people or on creating content or whatever. In fact, quite the contrary, I think there's been quite a boom in a lot of places in poker because of this, uh, you know, being stuck at home thing. But so when we're talking to, you know, clients, um, a lot of them are like, okay, we want you to like think of things that are totally out of the box. And, you know, we, we would fund things if you could really come up with some, uh, you know, creative ideas or whatever. And it's so funny because in the 10 years that I've been in this industry, almost without fail, although certain things do change about the way, I think the way people consume content has changed quite a lot um, in that I think people prefer now, you know, longer form content versus, you know, five years ago, nobody wanted to watch a video that was more than five minutes. Maybe it was more than five years ago, but I don't know. Basically people consume content differently, but the type of content that they want to consume has from the analytics that I've seen almost without fail been basically the same. They want to see the biggest and best known players that they like talk about basically anything. They want to know about drama and controversy, anything that's, you know, is dramatic and weird and that they can have an opinion about. And, well, okay, there's a couple other like random little things, but I would say those are the two main things that are just going to consistently get hits and get minutes watched and get things viewed. And so when we're talking to our clients and dealing with our clients, what I think is so interesting is that I can be like as creative or wild as I want, but what people really want to hear and see are poker players and their favorite poker players, or they want to hear strategy and hands. And almost all of this for me involves getting someone else. And the only way that I can for sure get these people for poker clients is if they pay those people, right? So right. if you're sponsored by GG or sponsored by poker stars or sponsored by 888 or whatever, those players will come do interviews and content. And there was a time period where even I thought I was like, this like sponsoring everyone thing is like a little ridiculous, you know, like everybody who gets a sponsorship, everybody gets a sponsorship. But actually the farther away from that model we've got, the more I feel like that is still from a client perspective, if you're running a client and you want to get exposure, still the best way to get exposure is to incentivize players to talk to media or create vlogs on their own or put out, you know, things on their own. But really, I still think that's mostly what what the poker viewing audience wants to see. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I think there's a huge disconnect right now between uh, the the bigger businesses or conglomerates that embody this community and the players themselves. Uh, and because of that disconnect, I think it's made the media's job impossible. So, you know, uh, I shouldn't say if I ran a media company, but I guess like what I'm getting at is if we look back at 2010 and we took today's content creation and just put it back pre-Black pre Friday, you would see media just highlighting every single positive thing that occurred, right? Like all of the vloggers, all of the podcasts, everything. It would just be in the limelight because it was so player-centric. They understood that the model revolved 
first and foremost around the players like that's what the fans are going to care about and now there's this like great divide where from the player standpoint media doesn't do anything it doesn't prop them up and it doesn't offer them a pathway to any sort of sponsorship and from the the corporation side of things it's like well they just see kind of players as uh almost like interchangeable you know like as one falls another one takes its place so we don't really need to invest too much capital or resource into cultivating any one particular character and i think it's like a big problem kind of as you mentioned we've gotten so far away from the sponsorship model that moving forward it's like well how on earth do we make this game interesting to the masses if the the people who are on the beat don't really have anything to report on um it's so crazy because i never even really thought of this but in your sort of intro, you mentioned my husband, and this is something that we talked about a lot because he fought in Pride, right, in mm -hmm. Japan for many years before he came to the UFC. And one of the biggest issues that he had seen was that in Pride, they recognized that building a name was great for their brand, right? Mm -hmm. Because whether it was the heel or the hero, the more they built up these characters, the more different people in the audience or different fans, you know, would be like, he's I'm for this guy or this is my guy or whatever. And that ultimately building the brands of the fighters built the ultimate brand right, of pride. But he had explained to me, like in the UFC, they kind of like built the brand itself that like the fighting brand of UFC, like people don't even know MMA is its own thing. Like they no, think it's, UFC called, U it's is called like UFC. Fighting. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like they're Coca-Cola, right? Like mm -hmm. they've really figured it out. And and what they discovered is that building fighters, right, made it, they had to then pay those fighters more, which yeah. was ultimately not beneficial for them. And they could just replace these fighters with more and more fighters and replace it. But as we've seen, as that, as you try that model and it drags on, I think because it lacks heart, right? There's no heart in like a brand. Mm -hmm. And really what people want and are are here for is is heart and so i think even with this uh the irish guy uh, connor connor mcgregor yeah. right yeah connor yeah. mcgregor so yeah. he was like a brand again mm. sort of his own brand and although i'm sure that costs them some certain amount of money because they have to pay him more or whatever it is i think it may have shook things up a little bit in showcasing and recognizing actually People relate best to people mm -hmm. and they connect best with other people and not so much brands. And that ultimately brands, if they could recognize that through people is the best way to get other people, I think many industries would do better to realize that we've gone too far in the like business world thinking that something else is maybe you know the micro smartest way to do this thing and totally lost focus on the humanity which is really where people's wallets i think ultimately lie that's a really good point especially with the relating it to like mma because in mma like you're completely right like conor mcgregor or the irish guy as you said is <laughs> is like their biggest name but also like it costs them more money but it also brought them a lot of money. And it also brought the person that was fighting him a lot of money as well, because those, right. those fights were so huge. And he was such a character that like everybody tuned in. The pay-per-views were like off the charts. Like it was like the most money like UFC has made. Yeah, they paid him a lot, but it's because he brought him a lot of revenue. So yeah, I agree. I think poker has that same thing where it's like, fill out, like, you know, the old guard where 
everyone loved Dur, everyone loved Ivy, everyone loved Negreanu and Helmuth. And that brought a lot of buzz because those were like the, the, the big names. As they're phasing out, I don't think we have those big names anymore. And I think cultivating those names, as you're saying, is probably going to be a paramount thing. What's interesting and what sometimes is shocking to me also is always that, you know, in the media, right, our job is, of course, we're getting paid by someone. Nobody does does anything for free, which I'm sure will come as a shock to people who I think now the whole world realizes like, oh, journalists have to get paid by someone. So like, check yourself, like check your sources, see there's always going to be some sort of like tint. But at the heart of it, we also all want um, to create something good and to, to make something that's interesting. And I think that we're all sort of on the same page. I think a lot of the players also would want to be involved in things if they felt like it was good or helpful or, like you're saying, useful to them in some way. And so what's what's unfortunate is that we don't get um, and the, the poker companies don't share this information, right? So we don't really know about their player pools and like, okay, this year compared to last year, it's like a secret, obviously. Um, but, you know, when we saw this transition, say, to uh, sponsoring soccer players and stuff instead of poker players, I might be wrong, but I have to guess based on things that happened in the subsequent years that it was realized that actually that doesn't get you poker players, that you're not getting a lot more poker players from spending gazillions of dollars on soccer players. And then they almost went so far the other way, right? Then to streamers mm -hmm. instead of soccer players, which I'm sure was infinitely cheaper. But um, And I also think really great and a, and a smart move. But then I think so now we've the pendulum has gone super far one way and then very far almost the other way. Because I think a lot of streamers, it's not even maybe they're great poker players. Some of them, maybe some of them aren't. But I think maybe as the pendulum, I hope, swings back a little bit more that it will be realized that the best thing for the media, the best thing for the corporations, and the best thing for the players is that some money is is diverted to encouraging players to do media projects, to be involved in other media, you know, adventures in as much as they can. When I think about some of the flack that a lot of players have got for being sponsored by different companies, and I think we live in a really scary age where um, people will come for you super hard for almost anything. I think there's probably hesitation on the part of a lot of successful poker players to put their name on any brand anyways, because then they have to be, for some reason, the voice of everything that happens with that company, which is also, I think, a little bit much. Many years ago, like I'd only been in poker a couple years, and my uh, husband w had a friend who started this company called Alpha Brain, and now I think it's called On It, and it's become it has like a gym and all these other Wait, things. He's but friends with Aubrey Marcus. Yeah, yeah. No way. And so Aubrey initially one of the um, industries that he he was pursuing as something he thought was like on line with his brand was poker. It, it was like poker, golf, um, fighting. And he hired me to try to bring poker players on as ambassadors. And Berkey just found was, his calling. Like Berkey's literally no, just I'm like, tilted. Hey. What, what the hell, Sarah? 
Dude, this was so like very, or I had only been in poker probably like two years or something when this, this happened. And I remember I didn't know so many poker players on such a personal level, but he's like, I, he put it on me to bring it to the poker world. So I like brokered a deal, of course, with Poker News to try to put it out there. And I was giving it to players to say like, I really believed it on Alpha Brain. I really thought it was a great product and I thought it was perfect for poker. And so I remember I gave it to like Liv Bory. I gave it to, um, uh, gave it to like and I gave it, like everybody that I knew in poker at that time I was like I think this is a great product but here was the uh, the really interesting other thing so and hell actually did get on board uh, a couple Leo Wolpert I know like got on board but that was not from me Sorel Mitzi like there was some players who who I think were into the new tropic thing like before it became such a big thing and were kind of on board but what I found that was so difficult about brokering deals with poker players is that they are used to big money big money. So when you say to a poker player, oh, I have a business who's willing to give you $10,000 to, you know, endorse their product and say that you like their product. First of all, it's hard to explain to the company why this is of value. Like I say, okay, Angel Guillen, he's like a good poker player. He's got like a certain amount of audience, but trying to explain to them why I think $10,000 is worth it. And then trying to explain to the poker player why $10,000 is worth it for them to endorse something when for them $10,000 is the buy-in to like a tournament maybe too. Mm -hmm. I definitely found a disconnect compared to some other industries where players aren't putting money in to make money, where... You know, like if yeah, somebody is DJing or something had, like, and you're going to offer him 10 grand, like 10 grand is 10 grand. Mm -hmm. But offering a poker player 10 grand is like, it doesn't mean as much. You need I'm, a little bit I'm, more money, I think, to get I'm poker currently, players interested. I'm currently looking around where we're going to put on it on our, <laughs> like I might, I might, you know what? Like, I don't know. This was a nice award, <laughs> but like it's gone. Like, <laughs> I think right here is kind of nice. You know, this area. I'm you, yeah, I mean, like, I this turns into the, you know, we, we get guest gigs on the Aubrey Marcus podcast. I'm on Rogan, next thing you know. We're on Spotify. This all sounds How great. How have you guys not been on Rogan or Aubrey's Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're just calling for software why to get on The problem on was that they only asked, Ber they only try to give Berkey 10K, and then he's like, 10K? That was like my buy-in from yesterday, so mm -hmm. then he turned it down. You're right. But you guys are so, your brands are very aligned and i think that you guys would make a lot we more, just a, little, you, a lot of sense together, we have to actually. be you, we, you should be on the show more often you compare us to joe rogan and we say that you have an aura around your interviews that's true you guys we should just like <laughs> jerk each other's chains all the time it feels really good actually i'm not gonna lie i mean it really it was hard and i actually it's funny it was one of the i actually ended up feeling to Aubrey, like I wasn't worth the money that he gave me because he was paying me not a lot, but a small amount to try to build up on it in poker. And I believed in it. So I thought it was going to be really easy, but it ended up being really hard. And I didn't, I didn't feel like, um, the poker community was very receptive, but it's funny because then cut to five, six years later, I think now the poker community is in a space where a lot of the people are, thinking more consciously and being more thinking about nootropics, thinking about meditation, thinking about a lot of these ideas where I don't know how to say that actually without you, sounding. No, I think you, I you had it all backwards. A little too soon. It was yeah, too soon. If you were selling weed gummies back then, you would have killed it. And yeah, you wouldn't, you're... you wouldn't even needed to offer money for sponsorship. They would just be like, give me the gummies. I'm good. Yeah. And they were like, alpha brain, we're taking Adderall. Right. Like, we don't need alpha brain. <laughs> right. 
but you know, again, like we're all aging out. Like the the community as a whole is getting older. We're we're entering. You know, my my generation, if we if we consider it the second guard, right? Like the old guard is the Negrano generation, uh, Ivy, etc. My generation now, like you know, thirty eight to say thirty two, maybe thirty ish, whatever the 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 poker boom generation, if you will, we're aging out. A lot of them are getting married, having kids, moving into other industries. Like they realize health matters. They're working out. They're getting off of the 10 doobies a day and 16 hour online grind. Like that stuff gets taken away. You have to grow up. You can't eat Cheetos for every meal any longer. Uh, and, and then like the generation that precedes us, precedes us. Is that, is that right? Or whatever. Anyway, the youngest generation, yes. I guess, uh, they're growing. It's like they precede us in some ways. They right. come behind us in other ways. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, but they're growing up in a time where I, I think that due to independent media sources now being a much more collective thing than, uh, you know, the mainstream media, if you will, there is a certain emphasis on these lifestyle elements, right? Like when I was a kid, you, you didn't get to be a baseball fan and watch the lifestyle of Barry Bonds. But like, that's just the thing now. You just get to witness like the lifestyle of extreme athletes. You get to witness the lifestyle of... Uh, successful professionals, they're thought leaders in every fucking industry uh, across the board. So it's like, I do think that they're a little bit more health conscious. There's probably a lot less of them that are potheads and Cheeto eaters than there are guys who are working in 30 minutes of meditation and a gym session before they play. I think you're completely right. I mean, I think that the, even when I think about what, you know, the online world looked like for a lot of the guys coming up versus say what it, what it looks like now and what people, I mean, even I just, like, I, you know, I was talking to Fedor two weeks ago and he's just, you know, really busy with like trying to create food that's sustainable and uh, fashion that's like, you know, he can make himself because he doesn't want to be a part of this fashion industry and all these things. And I'm just I'm like, what are you 25 again? I'm sorry. Fedor, like, Fedor's it, Kanye West. Like <laughs> Fedor's Kanye West. Yes. It's crazy though. And, but I actually, I think, you know, part of that also is, well, I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but I think a big part of it is that a lot of the, the leaders also, if you want to say like us, the old guard or whatever, these people who were in their thirties did start thinking about a lot of these things and looking into these things. And I think these players who are now coming into their like late thirties, early forties, you know, maybe mid thirties, these players did eat Cheetos, did play 16 hours a day and drink Mountain Dews or whatever, and discovered that they were, that they felt that they were missing something and that they felt they weren't, you know, at their playing at their best or whatever it was. And actually in order to stay strong and good in a game that was getting harder and harder and harder, they had to change all kinds of, you know, environmental things in order to stay at the top where a lot of the guys now, I think, who are coming into poker, if you're not already going to be, you know, super diligent studier, if you're not already going to be, I think, very conscious about, you know, things going on around you and these type of things, I think you'll just never even, you can't even get into this space, I think, at this point, for the most part, anymore, because it is so full of other people now who are operating on this next level tier. Yeah, I envision it as like, when we were coming up playing online, uh, kind of like a bunch of teenage kids having a sleepover and playing video games all night. That's what online poker looked like to us. And now I think the youngest generation views online poker like boiler room, where they're yes. just like 
all locked in this cubicle together, shouting at the top of their lungs, always be closing. And like, they're just yes. after every single they're slice like, of you. We just solved it. We just solved it. We've got a solver done. Like, and then they're all meeting and like conferencing yeah. again about like, okay, like this guy just did the work on this thing. And this guy did, and they're like putting it together. Like, yeah, it's charts and graphs. And it's definitely, it's a different world. And if you want to be successful in this game now, I don't think you can, you can't come at it the way that I think it was possible to come at it when you were, you know, the, the Cowboys, when you were the first guys who came into town. Right. We'll let you out of here on a little bit of a lighter note, just bringing it full circle. Uh, the fact that COVID is a thing this year and WSOP is now online. What are you going to miss the absolute most about not spending 50 days of your life holed up in the Rio? You know what I think is really funny is I always dread it, especially so I can remember driving down the 15 and just, I would always look at the Rio and just be like, Ugh, I don't want it to be WSOP time. Like it just felt like such a, um, it's just such a commitment for us people who are not that committed, I think in general to a lot of things. But what I have to say is that every day that I will go to the Rio, the time just zooms by so fast. Like I go in there and I think like, oh, I've got a million things to do and whatever. And it's like, I just never could get enough things done in a day because I always would end up having some really genuine, really wonderful moments with people that you just don't have a lot of the time if you're not in person together. And the coolest thing about doing it at the WSOP is it's completely unplanned or you just can never know who you're going to just happen to see in the bathroom or happen to like walk by in the halls. And I think because poker players are kind of flexible enough with their schedules and I can be flexible enough with my schedule that there have been so many conversations and moments and just like really wonderful connections that I'm just not going to have this summer, which I definitely will miss. So people, you'll miss people. Yeah. That's so sweet. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. Obviously, you're one of my favorites. I always appreciate talking to you. We should do this again uh, in a space where we're more organized between the two of us and it's not just catching up. I would love it. You guys, this has been really, really great. I have to be honest with you. I go on shows periodically, as I'm sure you do too. And I had no doubt that I just knew I was like, this will be a really genuine place where I can feel free to just be myself. And that's exactly what it was. Wait till you get really comfortable and you just start cursing people out that you had no intentions of publicly airing. <laughs> Wait till you just go full like chirp herm. And like, next thing you know, I'm just out there, you know, having to apologize to everyone. Gosh, you have to be careful in this poker world. Yeah. I'm afraid. Yeah. Like, you listen, you're going to be like in pajamas, breastfeeding, just telling the world who the worst interview was of all time. And the next thing you know, you're canceled. That's it. Exactly. And then I'm going to be punching refrigerators again. And we all know <laughs> nobody wants that. We're trying to get healthy. We're trying to be good moms. Sure. I just thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. That and was great. Christian, I have to say, like, that was really a really lovely compliment that you gave me. I mean me. it. I it was, it was feel true. really good about myself today. <laughs> thank you. And I mean it. It was good. Get some sleep. Deuces, boys. Yes. See ya. I thought that was a great interview. She's one of my favorite people. How good was her lighting? Her lighting was, listen, I already, I sent a text message to production and was like, what's going on there? Like, we need to hire that person. I think it's a Texas thing. It might be. I'm going to whore myself out one more time. You better like and subscribe to our channel. Share it with your friends. This was such a great interview. It was, it was a. 
That was good. I'm so excited. You are excited. I'm very pumped. It'll wean. I know I know how this goes, man. It happens every year. I get it. I'm going to be six bullets deep into the goddamn monster stack. And that's all it's going to take. And I'm going to break like a twig. But right now, this very second... This is like women for you, you know? It's like first date, you're why super you you're super pumped. You're like, we're going to this place. It is super. Like, I know I just told her it's coffee, but it could be more than just coffee. Too. Mm. And then, like, you're super pumped. Six dates in, you're like, I don't know if I really like this girl. <laughs> I mean, she's all right, but, like, our communication sucks. She's actually not as smart as I thought. I've heard you say this at the yeah, house. No, no, no. I've this heard this you say is this. incredibly accurate. You see? You're like, oh, I always got to bring it to girls. It's because like, it's true. This is what I get. This is, the, I see, like, I yeah, know. Yeah, no. You're like, you know, you're like, oh, I know how you act. I know how you act, too. Yeah. No, date four is, like, pretty telltale. If you made it that far, you're, you're likable. All right, ladies, you heard him. Make it to date number four. You got a chance. Tune in to Berkey. He's going to be streaming right after this. He's going upstairs, to putting on the button down, putting on the Superman. One hour. And All right. Shit. Five o'clock. Five o'clock every day. All right, well. I got to eat, man. All right. He wants to eat first. And then five o'clock every single day, there's a giveaway. Allegedly, he's giving away 150% of stuff. Five percent every day for 31 days. I said it's 150 something percent. He's like, nah, 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 it's only 5%. I was like, I don't know. That, that's math to me. 150 percent of something. You know what I'm saying? Like every day, 5%. Eventually, uh, that equals to a lot of percent. Sure. So if you want a piece of Berkey, one of the best fucking players on the planet, man, allegedly the best, he's going to beat Foxen in a bet. Mm. You know, you got to like his vlog, vlog slash stream. You got to subscribe to the channel. You got to comment below like, I don't like that play you did. That's fine. That'll count. I might ban you after that, but it'll count for that one stream. Next stream, you're fucked. <laughs> but if you Run do good. all those things every single day, you're going to have the chance to get one ball, one ball, one ball, one ball. Back in the day, he used to fucking sell it to me at 1.4. You're getting it for a comment and a like. <laughs> Think about that. All right. And with that said, we're out of here. This is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it, man. I know what I know.